This expert insights session was recorded in front of a live webinar audience on the 27th of October, 2021. The topic was partners, not competitors, the integration of clinician expertise with online programs. On the panel we had Brianna, our lived experience representative, Dr. Jill Newby, clinical psychologist and researcher at Black Dog Institute, Dr. Alison Mahoney, senior clinical psychologist at This Way Up, and chairing the session is Dr. Carol Newell. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to tonight's podcast, uh, Partners, Not Competitors, the Integration of Clinician Expertise with Online Programs. Thank you for joining us tonight. Um, before we get started, let me give my acknowledgement to country. Um, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodian of this land. Um, I am zooming in from Gordon, New South Wales, which is on the North Shore, and that is the Gurungai Nation and the Darug people. Um, I want to pay my respects to elders, both past and present, and to extend that respect to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander who are in our audience uh, today. We have a fantastic panel tonight for you. Um, so really looking forward to it. We're really introducing quite a novel and interesting concept tonight of blended care, um, you know, combining online programs with clinician care. Let's get started. I'm actually going to get our panel members to introduce themselves. Um, and we'll do a little bit of a whip around. So let's start, given that we've got it on the PowerPoint here with Brianna. Brianna, our lived experience volunteer, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your expertise in the area. Hey, so my name is Brianna Aubrey. Um, I'm actually a pharmacist, but also the lived experience representative for blended care. So I have experienced mental health issues since I was about 14 or 15, uh, was officially diagnosed with depression and anxiety in 2014 and then was diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder in October of 2020. Um, so that was after a few years of going back and forth and figuring out there's something that's a little bit not right with my brain and I don't know what it is. Um, and then managed to get to a diagnosis with my psychiatrist, which was good. And then she recommended the blended healthcare with the online This Way Up course, which was really helpful. Thank you for being with us tonight, Brianna. And I, th I think we're really excited to hear um, about your experience with blended care and how you found it and to go into a bit more detail about it. Sounds good. Yeah. The next person, Joel Newby, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your expertise in the area and your background? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Carol. Um, so I'm Jill Newby. I am a clinical psychologist by background um, and head of clinical research at the Black Dog Institute. So when I first graduated after my PhD, I worked at CRUFAD, so with Alison Mani, who's here today, um, and I worked on some of the online programs at This Way Up. And then I've recently moved last year to the Black Dog Institute and I'm doing a range of different projects in developing new blended care initiatives for depression and anxiety in adults. Fantastic. Thank you, Jill. Um, can't wait to hear about some of the latest innovations and research in this area. And then we've got Alison Marnie. Alison, to you. Well, good evening, everybody. I'm really excited to be joining um, you all tonight. Like Jill said, I work at CRUFAD, the Clinical Research Unit for Anxiety and Depression. I'm a senior clinical psychologist there and researcher. Um, and look, I've been interested in this area for a while, particularly looking at 
developing and evaluating online therapies and really trying to have a think about how they could fit into routine care. Um, so I'm really excited um, with that space and it's great to be here tonight. Thanks, Alison. You know what, we might actually stay with you because when we first had a chat about this podcast, you talked to me about kind of your journey into getting into online programs, right? And the very start of it. Um, can you tell us a little bit of your history and how you got into online programs and, and working in the research as well as the application of it? Sure, sure. So I started at CRUFAD um, with Professor Gavin Andrews about 15 years ago. Um, and look, Gavin has always been incredibly passionate about trying to help people access affordable evidence-based psychological treatment. And, and when I started, we were doing a lot of work with group therapy and individual therapy, you know, publishing our treatment manuals, trying to really get it out there. But the wait lists for our treatment were just were, they were so long, you know, we six, nine, 12 months. We just couldn't you know, get get through enough people um, and provide them with the care that we wanted to. And so Gavin thought, well, let's take our evidence-based manuals and put them online um, in a way that was sort of easily digestible for people. Um, and me, fresh out of uni and fresh out of my doctorate degree, oh, this possibly, this can't possibly work in the same way. It can't be as effective as my care. Um, but I was wrong. Um, and, you know, I, I saw week after week people getting better using these programs um, and saw the positive feedback coming from my clients and from their family members and seeing our wait lists just dwindle um, to the point where, you know, we were able to offer treatment quite quickly. Um, and, and now the programs are kind of part of our routine care. Um, way back then, a couple of decades ago, we called them, the program was called Climate. It was the clinician's mate. And obviously climate has different connotations now and we've rebranded <laughs> as, as this way up. Um, but it's, it's been a great journey from being very sceptical <laughs> to, to actually really enjoying them in routine practice. I like what you did there. <laughs> so, Alison, the program must look very different. Has it been like, has it been quite a journey? Like the first program I imagine would have looked very different to the program that it is. Yeah, now. it's certainly a little dated and a little clunky. And obviously we've done, you know, and Jill's been heavily involved in doing lots of clinical trials and really making sure that they're safe and effective. Um, but then also as the years have worn, worn on, really working with the, the people that are using the programs and co-designing them and really including, you know, family members and carers and, and consumers in the process of developing. So they've definitely, they've developed over time. Yeah. Um, and so maybe this question is for both of you, um, Alison and Jill. Did, did we always start with blended care or was it like a trial of online program on its own? Or has it always been like a bit of blended care? And if we're going to talk a little bit about blended care, a bit of definition around what that means as well. Like, I might hand this to Jill if that's okay, Alison. Yeah. All right, Jill. What has it always been this way? I think a lot of the earlier trials and a lot of them led by CRUFAD, um, 
we're really testing the online programs as standalone interventions. So we wouldn't call that blended care. But I think as, as time has gone on, there's been more of a focus on trying to integrate these tools into practice, whether it's using them before treatment on the wait list to help someone get prepared, whether it's in combination or between your therapy sessions, especially to space out therapy sessions when there's Medicare limitations, and then even as relapse prevention. Um, beyond treatment to help someone stay well after the the end of the intervention. Fantastic. So blended care is really the the combination of that clinician care with the online program. Um, Brianna, you've tried blended care and how did you, let's start your journey, how did you come across blended care and what were the kind of like the first thoughts you had? Because as a clinical psychologist, I'm always a little bit ambivalent about introducing it like you know it almost feels like like you Alison's like surely you know they will think it's second-rate care compared to what they would get with me how how did you find it when this concept was introduced to you how did you come across it so I thought it was a little bit abstract um it was actually recommended by my psychiatrist after I had the diagnosis of OCD um so during COVID I believe access to this way up was much easier um, just because of COVID and it was more difficult for people to go into appointments with their clinicians. So um, she said, look, I can recommend that you do this program. I think it'll be really helpful for you to do. And it's structured over a certain number of weeks. And I think there were six lessons in the OCD course that I did as well. Um, yeah, my psychiatrist said, look, I think that this will be really beneficial for you. And I really trust my psychiatrist as well. She's fantastic. So if she recommends something, then, you know, it's going to be worthwhile for me to give it a try. And that's what I did. And I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. Sounds like a clinician or a health provider's confidence in it and your connection with them is really important. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, Going back to you, Jill, in terms of the evidence base, um, is there a difference between the evidence base for something like blended care versus, say, online alone um, or you know, compared to face-to-face? -face? You know, there's this move. It sounds like there's this move towards this blended care. Was that based on some of the evidence coming out suggesting that it might be superior? So the research evidence on online programs, um, standalone intervention is really good. There's probably hundreds of randomised control trials now that show that these programs are effective for anxiety disorders and depression, uh, leading to sustained like, improvements in quality of life and, and symptom change over time. I think the, the move toward, in the evidence was really driven by clinicians. I think clinicians... What the research that we've done and others around the world have done has shown that clinicians far prefer a blended model of care than a standalone digital program. I think there's some concerns around using only digital programs with people with um, especially severe symptoms. So that's partly been driven by clinician need and the us trying to get online programs and digital technologies as part of routine care. So the evidence from uh, the, the majority of work that has been done in the research in blended care compared to face-to-face -face care has been done in Europe. And what those studies have found is, especially for depression, um, better outcomes than standard care over time uh, for improving depression and for reducing the rates of diagnosis of depression over time as well. So that's pretty good news. Sounds fantastic. Um, 
so this ambivalence around severity, and sorry, I'm deviating from a bit of abstract questions. Um, there's, is it true that online programs by, by itself and, and, you know, even with blended care are suited to mild to moderate, or is that just our feeling as clinician? Is there any support for even like the severe cases with online programs? Yeah, there's, there's support for severe cases. So I think probably that came from earlier trials where they would only include people with mild to moderate symptoms because when it's really early days, you need to establish safety in, in clients with those profiles before you move on to, to more severe um, yeah, some more severe symptoms. What the more recent research has shown is actually people with more severe symptoms can sometimes do better, I guess, because they have further room to improve and they can do just as well as people with mild to moderate symptoms. I would say, though, that um, some of the research that we've done and others have done is people who are suicidal or who have had recent suicide attempts or very severe depression are often not included in the clinical trials. So I would say that that's a bit of a caveat that we don't know how effective those programs are standalone um, in those groups. And that's just because we're kind of um, trying to get as much evidence as possible and we're trying not to include that. But I imagine that once that evidence starts to come in, we'll be more certain about whether it works. In Yeah, in that's right. And well, when we actually look at the data of what type of clients are using online programs with this way up data and also some data from Black Dog with the My Compass data, what we find is people with severe symptoms, severe anxiety, severe depression, and quite frequent suicide suicidal ideation going onto those programs and accessing them as a support service and a part of their, their mental health care. So they are actually using the programs. It's just that the trials haven't necessarily included them. Yeah. Okay. And one of the, the lovely things that we've been able to see by evaluating the programs is that, you know, significant suicidal ideation reduces over the course of treatment. So one of those markers of success is actually that people are struggling less with, with those thoughts and urges, which is really great from a clinician's point of view, as well as, you know, from, from the consumer. That's lovely to hear. Um, Carol, now, sorry, I messed up something on the um, on the Q and A. Um, someone that's asked. Why I had a bit of a pause. I'm like, what happened to the question I was about it's to ask? I said done. So there. the question was, um, are there any good apps for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander individuals? And what I would suggest to go to uh, WellMob, which is a really great website, and also iBobly, which is an app that was developed with and for people with um, people from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander backgrounds to help support their emotional well-being. So th that's where I would go. Yeah. Sorry, I stuffed that up. No, no. <laughs> we answered it live. It's fabulous. <laughs> um, so, Alison, in your experience, are there people who are especially suited to this way up online blended care? Do you have like your favorite client, client presentation that you go, this is perfect? Aside from Brianna, of course, right? <laughs> so. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, I wish that it was kind of a one-size-fits-all, you know, decision tree kind of tick the box, um, but, but I, I don't find that's the case. Um, certainly, and, you know, maybe I'm being a bit self-deprecating, but I think my capacity to predict who's going to benefit most from treatment is a bit woeful. Um, and when I look at the literature, I see that, that often we're not very good at predicting 
treatment outcome when we look at how people are going at the start. Um, Having said that, though, um, I really like to, uh, I mean, it almost seems common sense, but if people are interested and motivated and they want to do it, then I'm all for going with that. And one of the things that we saw in COVID was that um, people were actually going to their, their GPs and their clinicians and saying, can you prescribe this for me? I want to do it. It was a very client-directed kind of a client-initiated activity. Um, look, obviously, there are going to be contraindications um, around severity of illness when there's risk, when alternate um, psychotherapies and psychiatric interventions are required, you know, DBT or ECT, whatever it is. Um, and there are going to be limits around, you know, if a person can't access the internet or they've got sensory deficits or, um, you know, there's language barriers. But really, I, when, when I'm thinking about who might want to give it a go, um, I'm thinking, is this person interested in CBT? Um, are they are they actually interested in a practical here and now kind of strategies based treatment um, that focuses on how they're going at the moment and what they want to change in their behaviour? Um, and that that's quite a lot of people. And often I just I really encourage people to give it a go and I stick close to their lived experience rather than assuming that I know who's going to do well. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if Brianna would would want to speak to that as well, and um, you know her initial impressions, and then how she how she felt going through the course. Yeah, Brianna, do you? Yeah, could you could you enlighten us a little bit about you know maybe when you were going through the course, you're thinking Look, this is actually really suited to me because is it the love of technology? Is it the fact that you kind of because we talked about what you liked best about the course, yeah. right? I might turn this over to you. What did you like best? And- yeah, I think what I liked the most about it is that I'm a very visual learner, and I always have been. So. Um, having that course physically in front of me on the screen and being able to, you know, take my time going through all of the different lessons and then having all of the homework at the end of it and basically, you know, things that I had to work on before I went and did the next lesson in a couple of weeks' time, I found that very beneficial. Um, I also like the fact that I could download the notes and the homework at the end and I have it all saved on my computer just as PDFs. So if there's anything that I'm not sure of or I just want to kind of refresh my memory as to different techniques, so exposure therapy and the like, then it's very accessible and it's something where I can just access it, you know, when I need to or what I feel that I need to kind of build on the knowledge that I have. Yeah. Yeah. Like like being able to go at your own pace and being able to go back to that information because I Imagine sometimes it face-to-face and I I have that experience as a clinician as well, that you're kind of delivering the the information, but some of it is getting lost because the client might be thinking of something else or maybe really worried in that session and just being able to go back to notes, not feel rushed would be such an advantage with an online program. Um, Yeah, definitely. I think to some degree, we are all visual learners, right? Just having it slow down, be able to see things clearly. And this way up is actually a very uh, visual 
program, isn't it? It's one of the things that really surprised me. Um, could you, and maybe for our listeners who are not familiar with it, could we describe a little bit of that program while we're here, um, now that we're talking about the visuals? Uh, Jill and Alison, either one of you would be fine because you're both both familiar with it. So I'm happy for either one of you to, to have a go at describing it a little bit and, and why it's like, in terms of why it's so visual. Well, the lesson content is delivered through sort of comic book, sort of cartoon type stories. Um, and, you know, they've been redesigned over the years to make them more appealing and engaging, um, particularly for younger audiences as well. Um, we try and limit the amount of text because not everyone likes to do a lot of reading. Um, so there's a, a strong visual element. Um, but then, like, as Brenna was saying, all of the information that's sort of presented in the comic lesson is then you can all download it in a modular format via PDFs. Um, the, the other really neat part of the programs that I love as a clinician is there's inbuilt tracking measures. So everyone who pops on to do their lesson will fill out a measure of their psychological distress, how, how they're going. And then that information is fed back to the person doing the course so they can see how they're going over time. And the information is fed back to me as the clinician to see how that person's going. So if they're not going so well, I can I can be proactive um, and, and get in contact with them. Um, but it's also really nice for the person to see, oh, I'm going well. There's things are going in the right direction. And if they're not, what can I do about it? Um, then there are also, you know, SMS reminders and email reminders and lots of different functions that's automated within the system to help people engage with it. Um, is that a pretty good, would you add anything extra to that, Jill? No, I think you did a pretty good summary there. <laughs> I was Jill so and I have both built some of these programs, so we're we're kind of a bit biased, but, you know, we do love them. <laughs> well, as a clinician who uses it, I was really surprised by how visually based it was. I don't know if you had the same experience, Brianna, when you clicked on, because I was kind of expecting, like, text, like learning and reading lots of stuff, and I was like, oh, it's really visual. It's like walking through different scenarios and, you know, talking about negative thoughts and then um, how to challenge. It was really interesting. So it felt more a little bit like a, um, a visual novel, comic book kind of journey. Did you have that experience, Brianna? <laughs> Just yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I found it very easy to follow. And, you know, if you're the kind of person where you don't necessarily want to read walls and walls of text, I mean, the lessons are available afterwards and you can download it as a PDF, like I was saying before. But for people who, you know, may not have the attention span, which I'm guilty of that sometimes, and I just want to kind of click through and, you know, do as much as I can in a very short space of time. Um, yeah, I found the way that it was presented very helpful and it was very easy to digest. It didn't feel overwhelming, which if you're struggling with anxiety or, you know, obsessive compulsive disorder, you're already pretty overwhelmed with a lot of things as well. So I feel like having it broken down very basically is the best way to get through to people when they really need it. Mm. So how does the clinician kind of fit into this? So as the client is working through it, um, where do we kind of fit in when it's a clinician supported um, program. Jill, would you like to take this one? 
Yeah, so there's a few different options, I guess. So one's clinician-supported online program where the client will go through the program relatively independently, but the clinician might check in on their progress and um, maybe touch base over phone or email throughout that 12-week treatment period. But Real blended care is actually combining those digital elements with face-to-face or telehealth therapy. Mm. So where you might use um, one of the online lessons before or after your therapy session to sort of enhance and augment what you're talking about in therapy. So, you know, if, if one of your therapy sessions is really around thought monitoring and identifying the negative thinking patterns that might be feeding into anxiety or low mood, then you might prescribe the module, uh, which is, sort of, I think, around lesson two in most of the This Way Up programs to help the client learn about that in more detail, to read about that, to get the worksheets and activities that they would do before your next session to, to be able to monitor their thoughts. Uh, this this means that we've got a question here that might be really relevant I wonder so from Jan hello Jan I wonder if it would ever be appropriate for a clinician to have an online treatment program on the screen while in session what do you guys think Alison is like vigorously shaking her head yeah I certainly, I certainly do that. Look, again, it's it's kind of no one size fits all. These are flexible tools that you can use before, during, or after treatment as suits you and, and your client. Look, I've certainly worked with some people that have very intense shyness and social anxiety. And, and working one-on-one is is really, really difficult and excruciating. And so having something else to focus on, like the online course, where working through it together, it can actually make it a much easier interaction for the person. Um, also, when people are, you know, really struggled with you know, lots of worries and intrusive thoughts, having something visual that they can focus on that's not just me talking with them can be really helpful. Um, and I've also used the online programs as a way of kind of doing the heavy lifting for me. So all the kind of talking and teaching that can be part of some therapies like CBT and mindfulness I know that the program's doing that so what I what I get to do is spend a lot more time in the session doing the more complex work the more experiential work exposure and um, trauma reprocessing and things like that Um, and so that way it kind of works hand in hand with what I'm doing and by all means you can have it on the screen while you're doing it. Uh, I absolutely love that approach. I found that one of the um, one of the times I've used this way up and it's been so handy knowing that it's in the background is when I have sessions which feel a little bit chaotic um, because the client is just worrying so much and we kind of like jumping from topics to topics and and just having the structure of an online program where you know you're going to knock off cognitive challenging, you know, we're going to introduce it. You can go back to it um, to make sure we cover all our bases throughout. It means that we're not deviating too far away from our evidence base whilst we're dealing with some of the more urgent things that come into to session. Um, and it sounds fantastic, right, that we could actually introduce it. Um, Jill, tell us a little bit about the latest research trial in blended care. It's a transdiagnostic one, which is exciting. 
Yeah, that's right. So we've sort of taken a lot of the work that we've done at This Way Up and, you know, a lot of the experiences that we've had with other app-based interventions and online programs at Black Dog. And what we're developing is, is a new program um, which involves um, a smartphone app where the person can pick and choose their modules that they want to do. It's transdiagnostic, so it will be appropriate for depression, anxiety and stress. Um, and it's really designed to be fully integrated into therapy, where a psychologist or other mental health professional um, incorporates progress tracking, symptom monitoring. They can actually pick and choose which modules that they prescribe for the client track how they're going and engaging with that those exercises or those modules and then work with them in that session, like the next session. So the idea is really to try and combine the best of both worlds, the experience and expertise and knowledge of the mental health professional, but also using the digital elements, the progress tracking, the symptom monitoring, and then the skill building in between sessions, um, the digital program does what it does best. So it's combining those two to get the best outcomes for the client. So we're developing that at the moment and we're, we're going to be trialling it into mid-next year. That's really exciting. I know I was I was talking to Joel and I'm like, sign me up. It's just like, not quite ready yet. Um, and are there any uh, major innovations in this one? You were, we were discussing this, Jill, something about like not necessarily being linear that you could access. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So... The, the great thing, but sometimes also the weakness of other programs that exist is they are linear. So they are one size fits all in that the person goes through a program from start to finish. Um, but what we know is sort of when we've worked with people with lived experience and also health professionals, they want actually a more modular and flexible way of, of delivering that, that digital element. Um, and so instead of having it linear or fixed, people can go through, they can go through a sort of standardised uh, program, but they can also pick and choose which modules um, are most appropriate for them. And ultimately down the track, we'll get, towards working on algorithms that can help sort of compare and figure out which module might be the best at the right time for the client so they can get the help that they need um, in a quicker way. Sounds exciting and very sophisticated. Algorithms. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Yeah, it takes a lot of work. <laughs> um, but what's really, I think the other great thing about this program is we've re worked really carefully and closely with you know, our lived experience advisors with a bunch of people in the community uh, with lived experience of depression and anxiety and also a range of health professionals as well, psychiatrists, psychologists, nurses, social workers, GPs, to figure out what model would look the best and be the most user-friendly for them. So mm -hmm. a lot of work's gone into that consulting and co-design element to, to make it, you know, as, as user-friendly and easy to use as possible. Absolutely. And that's so important for an online program is not for people to fall down at the first hurdle and to really engage with it, right? And I think our audience is getting really excited as well, because I can see how much does it cost? How do I do this? What is this way out? We will, I promise you, we will get to it. This is like a priority. <laughs> I know Alison's ready to go. She's like, I'm ready to go. I'm going to introduce this, right? So do bear with us. We are getting to it. But, you know, before we get to that, I do want to just switch to Brianna temporarily just to ask you, because one of my big ambivalence around online care when I first started was, 
oh, look, you know, uh, certain elements of CBT, cognitive behavior therapy is already challenging enough face-to-face, something like exposure therapy, right? There was, uh, there've been papers that have been published showing that 70% of therapists don't use exposure um, because it's too, you know, too hard to do. And when we talk about exposure, it's something like getting someone to confront um, their fears, right? In a graduated process. Um, and so that was one of my big ambivalence. Um, and so, Brianna, how did you find exposure therapy in your OCD program? Because this might be our chance to really demystify some of these beliefs we have as clinicians. Yeah, so um, I found the exercises and the recommendations for exposure therapy. It was a bit hard for me to get my head around it because I'd never, pardon the pun, been exposed to it. So, um, it did take a little bit for me to get my head around it, but I was very fortunate. I was actually off work for 12 months during the pandemic just because it was a little bit too much for me and I did need some time just to focus on my mental health. Um, and I was very fortunate that I was able to see my psychologist and my psychiatrist very regularly. So my psychiatrist was the one who referred me to this way up with the OCD modules. And I would complete those in my own time in between my appointments. And then I would see my psychologist. I think I was seeing her every month or so. I was seeing her fairly regularly. And she was aware of this way up as well. So I was able to kind of talk to her about what I'd learned in the This Way Up online courses and kind of reinforce that with her. So I'd say, well, look, this is what I learned in this particular lesson. And she'd ask, oh, how did you go with that? Was there anything that you struggled with? Is there anything you're unsure of? And I'm very fortunate in the fact that my psychologist and my psychiatrist both specialize in OCD. So they were definitely the right people to go to and to help me through all of this. And I was able to communicate with my psychologist and she could kind of reinforce what I'd already learned and help me to keep track of how I was going as well. So I'd go to her appointments, I'd go to the appointments with my psychiatrist, and then I'd be able to do this way up in between as well. So I found that having the face-to-face appointments with those two clinicians, as well as the online courses, having the three combined, I found it so beneficial. I really did. I feel like if I only had, you know, just the face-to-face sessions with the clinicians, it would have been successful. But like I was saying before, I'm a very visual learner. And what I quite liked as well is my psychologist is very visual as well. So she writes heaps and heaps of notes and writes down, you know, homework and anything that she wants me to work on in between lessons. So I found combining that as well as the lessons, like the modules and the homework from this way up, using the two of them together, I think that it helped me get better very quickly um, in comparison to just using one or the other, having the two was a lot more beneficial for me at least. Yeah. It sounds like yeah. the two complemented each other rather than yeah. kind of eliminated each other out, right? That's right. Yeah. The two of them worked together very well, which was perfect for me. And I guess it's good that I was off work as well because it gave me some time to focus on my mental health, which had kind of been pushed to the side. I mean, I'm a pharmacist, so we always put the health of all of our patients before our own, but it kind of got to a breaking point. And I said, look, I need to do something because I'm just not coping. But yeah, having the opportunity to do the online modules as well as see my psychologist, psychiatrist at the same time. Yeah. I wouldn't be where I am today without having those three elements helping my recovery as well. 
Absolutely. And I love that experience because it does dispel some of the maybe preconceptions that as, you know, myself as a practitioner sometimes have to be able to hear from somebody who's actually done the course that it actually fitted in together really well, especially that blended approach. Um, I'm going to answer live Janet Nixon's question. Are we able to provide some links to research? Jill, I think the answer is yes. You've actually sent us like a, a article that we can provide a link to afterwards. Um, uh, after this webinar, you'll get like an email from um, our, our project coordinator for the podcast, Melissa Cybra. Um, and just quickly, what is the, the research paper about? Just to give, give out Janet a little bit of a preview. It's the one you sent me, Jill. So it's a practical guide. So mm-hmm. Alison, myself, and a few other clinicians at Prefed and, and a colleague um, in private practice wrote that paper a few years ago. Um, and it's really around dispelling some of the myths around digital and blended care. Uh, it covers a bit of the research evidence, but actually it more covers how you might integrate it into therapy. So when you might prescribe these online programs, how you might benefit from them, some of the things you might want to consider if you are working in different clinical settings across private practice or outpatient clinics about how to set up um, the expectations around online programs um, and also gives gives some sort of um, different examples of online programs that that are available in Australia so it's really targeted for Australian clinicians not overseas clinicians um, but it's quite practical mm. but in it I imagine will be references to all the papers supporting yeah so there's references in there um, on some of the research and what the evidence is you could also go to the crewfad website as well where um, we keep up to date some of the literature that we have published um, some of the randomized controlled trials the pilot trials and also how well these programs are working in routine care settings so if you just go to the crewfad website the that's quite an up-to-date list of, of evidence yeah um, thanks for that jill so are clinicians in Australia lagging a bit behind in adopting online programs and blended care? Because it sounds like it's bigger in Europe than it is in Australia. And what is it, why do you think that there is this barrier at the moment in clinicians taking it up? Alison might turn to you and then turn back to Jill. Well, look, I'd, I'd love to hear Jill's Jill's thoughts on it for that those kind of broad brushstroke viewpoints. Um, look, my experience with this way up is that it's becoming increasingly used by clinicians, and I think one of the silver linings for COVID was that people you know, almost kind of forced to embrace um, remote technologies and delivering therapy via telehealth and digital technologies. And look, we saw, you know, thousands and thousands of clinicians and, and consumers signing up to do the course, you know, going from maybe a thousand people a month to one month, there was over 10,000. And so I think there is that cultural shift um, and people are embracing it more and, and partly maybe COVID accelerated that process. But look, I think there's there's still, um, you know, some misconceptions potentially that act as barriers and maybe assumptions that we as clinicians make, um, assuming kind of what, what clients or patients might think um, rather than kind of exploring it with them together. Um, there may also be some really um, clear infrastructure or systemic issues around funding models 
is this appropriately funded? Are clinicians appropriately supported to integrate this within their practice? Um, so, I mean, there's lots of pieces to the puzzle, but I'm actually hopeful that things are really going in the right direction there. Yeah. And what about you, Jill? What do you think are the barriers that stop clinicians from, from using um, online programs as part of routine care? Yeah, I think Ali has done a really good job of summarising those things. I think sometimes clinicians have concerns and some misconceptions about how useful the programs might be or how their clients might perceive it. So some of the research we've done has suggested that clients might, clinicians sometimes think that their clients believe that a referral to an online program might be palming them off to some inferior program or an inferior treatment and they worry about the impact of that on the therapeutic alliance which is completely understandable but definitely a barrier I think there's a couple of other things like the infrastructure Alison was talking about in that there haven't been there is no medicare item to find a way for clinicians to be able to get rebated for the time that they might be um, supporting a client through an online program. So unless a person is using an online program between their face-to-face -face or telehealth sessions, there's really no other way of rebating, say, that phone call that they might be supporting through an online program. So that's more of a policy issue that we don't have those Medicare rebates to help support clinicians. Um, and then there's also around the the way often private practices are, are set up um, there's some concerns around if you're seeing someone face to face the the safety for the clients in between those sessions especially if you're working private practice maybe for one or two days a week and then you're in a different setting for the other days clinicians are really understandably concerned about making sure that their clients have care and are well supported in those other days where they might not be able to um, access their support when they're in the private practice so I think there's there's a lot of good reasons. Um, we are further behind Europe. Europe has much better policies around this and it's standard practice. And they also have really good training programs too to help support clinicians in delivering blended care. So I think there's a few things that, that we're working on and trying to do over the next few years to change that. Will you be offering professional development, Alison and Jill, for blended care? Is, is there... There's eMental Health in Practice, which is a really great um, website and, and service to help support clinicians in integrating e or digital mental health services in their practice. Um, I'd check that out if you haven't already. Uh, with this blended care program that we're working on at Black Dog, that will be incorporated with a health professional training component as well to help clinicians and support them in implementing the blended care intervention in their practice. Um, but Alison does a whole bunch of talks around implementing this way up. So Ali, I might hand over to you. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, This Way Up isn't the only provider for this. I mean, that, you know, obviously that's the one we're partly focusing on because we've all had experience in the area. Um, but there are other um, digital mental health services that are, that are really great. Um, in terms of This Way Up, we, we have a dedicated engagement team. So um, whether it's a very personal clinician to clinician contact um, where, you know, a clinician can speak to basically someone like me um, and, and, you know, problem solve personal barriers that they have um, in their individual situation, or there's more the, the larger scale, you know, going to talks and lectures and online training and things like that that's available. Um, and, yeah, I just very much encourage people to, to have a look at the website and see what might work for them. 
And so we get to the part where we get to talk about this way up in a little bit more detail. If you're a clinician that's interested in signing up and giving it a go, um, this is the perfect time, right? And I might actually hand over to Alison. Tell us about maybe a little bit about the basic steps. How do we get started if I'm a clinician that's you know, I'm not so sure about my online abilities. What do I do? What would be my first step um, in getting started? The first step really is to, to find out a little bit more and, and have a think about whether it's going to fit for you and your practice and, and how, how you want things to go forward for you. Um, as Jill was saying it this way up, there are two main options um, for clinicians to consider. So the first one is the one that Brianna and, and her clinicians engaged in where, you know, the psychiatrist prescribed the course and then monitored her progress. So it was a real joint effort um, and she was able to meet with those providers regularly um, and, you know, it was, it was that option one there, prescribe and monitor. But that's not always available or appropriate for every clinician. Um, and so the second option um, is where the person completes the program more independently, where the clinician recommends the program, but then that the patient is working through it more independently, more of a self-help option. Um, and both of those can work with blended care. Some people, some clients actually prefer the self-help option. It's just about working out what's going to work for you um, going with that. Um, obviously, you've got to work out what program you might want to recommend to the patient. And I, I completely, when Brianna was saying it was it's so important for um, the clinician to, it's important for, for, for clients to get that um, recommendation from their clinician, um, that, that sense of trust in the programs. If you just flick to the next slide, um, it's good for clinicians to kind of have a look at what's on offer. Um, so there are those disorder-specific courses, like the one that, that Brianna did, the OCD course, um, but then there are other ones around social anxiety and, and GAD or depression. Then there are those transdiagnostic courses that Jill was talking about that is mixed anxiety and depression, um, and they're good, good courses when there are multiple issues that the person might want to work on. Um, and then there are some lovely wellbeing programs around mindfulness and, and sleep um, and coping with stress that have been quite popular during COVID, as you can imagine. Um, but look, the, the first thing to do if you are interested is hop onto the website and I might just get you to flip to the next slide as well. Um, and, and you can sign up as a clinician. It's free. You just hop you know, click on the, the sign up tab, um, put your name in, put your email address in, um, and that will take you through to the registration process. And then you can prescribe a course to your client. You just need their name and their email address um, and you pick the course and then you hit send and the system's all automated and it takes care of all the emails and instructions and things like that. And for our listeners who can't see our PowerPoint, it is thiswayup.org. So no AU at the end, so just .org. Um, and uh, I think there's been a lot of questions about cost. And so could you enlighten us a little bit about cost here, Alison? Yeah. So the programs are free when they're prescribed by a clinician. Um, when they're self-help at the moment, they're $59. Um, and look, this way up or can always waive fees. That's not an issue. But one of the things that we've found is when there's a little bit of a cost involved, 
it helps people be a bit more committed um, and complete the program. However, um, costs shouldn't be an issue and we can always waive those fees. Um, and what we've found is that um, when a clinician's working with a, with a client in blended care, the adherence is, is fine even without that cost. So that, that cost is waived. Um, I also noted that Jan had a question around the content and what I've done on the slides, and we can send the slides out, um, clinicians can just check out what's in the courses. Um, they don't need to sign up. They can go along to our demo site um, and look, we can again put that URL in the chat so that people have got it. Um, but you can have a look at all of the content. It's all good standard evidence-based CBT. Um, it's all transparent. Um, so clinicians can see exactly what their clients will be seeing if they do the course. Okay. Is the demo there when we sign in as a clinician? Yep, so you, you'll need to sign out of your clinician's account to access the demonstration site. Um, there's just some people that they, they don't feel ready or they, they, you know, they would prefer not to, to register as a clinician, but they'd still like to look at the content. And so people can do that through the demo site. Okay, I love that. I always feel really powerful when I can prescribe it for free. I hop on there, I'm like, I am prescribed this. And it's so, so lovely um, to, to be able to, to give clients that extra, almost like a resource um, as they're signing up to see us. Um, and to, to that end, um, you know, where... <laughs> What could we use it for? I know that it's going to be in the article, Jill, that we're sending out. But, you know, this is, we've got practitioners listening in. You know, what could we use it for? We've talked about, Alison, waiting lists, right? Trying to reduce that waiting list. Um, we had a question from Marie. What stage into ter therapy would you introduce online therapy or using the app? It could be even before a client start. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. You can use it before you start therapy. If someone's waiting for treatment, it helps to provide structure and information and get them started with learning about CBT and understanding how um, their symptoms are working or being maintained uh, before treatment. You could prescribe it after you've started. Like you were saying, Carol, before, you know, sometimes it's helpful to provide structure around the therapy. So if you're finding your clients are really worried and might be skipping from one worry to another in the therapy session you can you can start the program after you've started therapies to give that structure around your therapy sessions um i've also used it as relapse prevention where you know might have helped uh, a client with their their main problem like GAD for example but I know there's sort of some lingering symptoms of low mood or or health anxiety or I want them to continue to learn about how to manage stress and so I've actually prescribed the programs after our face-to-face -face therapy has finished um, and that's been really helpful for just providing that extra safety net and support for a person after they've sort of been discharged from from face-to-face -face therapy. Fantastic. Now I have a question from John here. I have a few clients outside of Australia wondering if this resource will be available for them. Absolutely. So This Way Up can be prescribed to anyone around the world, um, but not via the self-help pathway. So, you know, for lots of sort of logistic and legal reasons, we need um, it to be prescribed by a, a registered healthcare practitioner outside of the country. But yes, also, lots of people all around the world use it. 
Sorry, Ali. I, I'd also encourage people to go to um, headtohealth.gov.au and also e-mental health in practice. So um, the link is there in the chat, but I'm just trying to find the, the web link. Um, emhprac.org.au because that actually has a range of other resources as well if people are looking for, say, resources or digital programs for kids or young people or for particular um backgrounds like Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander individuals, uh, there's a really good resource list there that um, people can check out too. Uh, another question here is, any suggestions particular to school mental health practitioners working with young people? Because my understanding is that does the parent need to be involved or can we prescribe it without parental consent? Alison. At this, the, the This Way Up courses have been primarily built for adults. Um, there is a young person's course, Teen Strong, um, but the best way to do that was is within the context of, of a blended model um, with the parents' involvement. Um, but my understanding, again, like Jill said, that, that directory at eMental Health in Practice is excellent because there are a whole range of programs that have been designed specifically for young people, um, some within the, the school context, others not. Um, and it's just it's a fantastic resource. They have a brilliant directory that you can search by the age group and by the, the difficulty. Um, and it's, it's well worth a look. Fantastic. Thank you for that. Um, so we're heading towards the end of our podcast with a few minutes left. And um, we've got a final question here. Um, for and it's a little bit of a whip around for our panel members. Um, what is the most common misconception about online programs, blended care, that you'd like to dispel today for all our practitioners and patients and clients that are listening and to really encourage them to give it a go? Brianna, we might start with you. What are some of the things that, you know, a take-home message um, for our audience today um, to really encourage them to give it a go? I think the fact that it's so easy to follow. Um, I mean, I come from a healthcare background with what I do for work, but I think that it would be easy for anyone to follow regardless of their health literacy. Um, and I think it's all about the accessibility as well and people being able to follow the course at their own pace when it's convenient for them as well, because it can be difficult to commit to appointments with psychologists and psychiatrists. And you know, especially with COVID as well, I'm sure that they have an influx of patients who are also seeking therapy. So it may be a bit more difficult for them to get those appointments as well. So having something like This Way Up or an online course to follow in between those appointments, I think it's very beneficial. And if anyone's, you know, feeling a little bit um, hesitant, I guess you could say to give it a try, honestly, there's nothing that you can lose and you can gain so much from doing these courses as well. It's well worth your time. I, yeah, I definitely recommend giving it a try. Absolutely. What about you, Jill? What are some of the, the take-home messages from tonight that would really give um, our practitioners, clinicians listening today, a, you know, a real boost in trying to give it a go? 
I think the main thing is just seeing it as another tool you can use in your toolbox. These programs can be really helpful. Like Brianna was saying, it's in combination with her psychologist and psychiatrist and then that online program help um, combine with those different forms of care and different practitioners to help get better outcomes. So I'd say just see it as a tool, give it a go um, and experiment and, and encourage your clients to try it. And if it doesn't work, that's fine. Like you continue with your face-to-face therapy, but um, I think you're missing out if you don't try and use these programs in, in your blended care model. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. I think it's, it's you know, well, hopefully partly the, the future. Um, and I want to see people um, experiment and explore and not assume you know that their clients won't like it but but actually give it a go um I'm speaking to myself as much as anyone else I think because that was my journey I had assumed that it wasn't going to be helpful but I learned otherwise um and look I think that it's it's something that many more people are getting on board with um and many people are finding helpful um so by all means have a go experiment and explore and see if it works for you because Mm. it may not but it may I would say that as a private practitioner, there's just been such a massive influx um, in the COVID lockdown, but also coming out of COVID lockdown as we're starting to see people like seeking help. And it's been stressful with that waiting list and just having a backup resource where as people are looking into calendars, but they're a few weeks away to know that they've got some support, that they're doing an online program and they're not just kind of waiting, hanging in, they're suffering in between has been a really big stress relief as a private practitioner myself, right? So this is so complimentary, but we've often seen it as this competitor that's going to take over, but it's not. It's just just an integrative tool um, in the way we practice. So I'm just loving um, this idea that we are going to be heading towards the splendid care, right? Um, and to be able to, to use it as part of our practice. To that end, I want to remind everyone we've got other online tools as well at the Black Dog Institute. Jill, is there a specific name for the Blended Care, new Blended Care program you're about to launch in June or have we not named it yet? It's unnamed. It's like an unnamed baby at the moment. Um, we call it Adult Wellbeing Program, but going through the naming process, it's actually really difficult to find a name that isn't used already um, in sort of the mental health service world and apps. So if anyone has any ideas, please feel free to email me. Um, yeah, but it's going through that process at the moment. We'll have a name soon in the next few weeks, I think. Yeah. So do, do check out the Black Dog Institute. We have our 10, um, which is the essential network that is designed for healthcare um, providers. It's terrific. And My Compass and the Black Dog Institute online clinic. Thank you to my amazing panel members. You are terrific. Um, thank you, Brianna, for sharing can I say your endorsement just counts for so much because we rarely get to hear from lived experience and their experience of what treatment is like, especially with something so new. So thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. And thank you, Alison and Jill, for the research background, the how-to of doing this. Um, and so good night, everyone, and thank you for joining us tonight. We'll see you later. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more of our podcasts, subscribe to and review Black Dog Institute on iTunes or your preferred podcasting platform. If you're interested in knowing more about our educational programs and research, 
please visit our website at blackdoginstitute.org.au. 